0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to c Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Well, I want to wish each of you mums a happy Mother's Day, and I hope you feel loved. I hope you feel celebrated because. Motherhood, you know, is is not for the faint of heart. You have to be, it's probably the most difficult thing you would do, even though it's the most rewarding thing. It is definitely one of the things that will just tax every part of you. And you, you know, you have to be brave because in front of everybody, in front of the whole world, all your strengths, all your weaknesses get presented before everybody. And if they're not presented, then your kids are sure to tell, people what's going on in your life and what you've not done so so greatly Uh, so whether you are a mom or a dad if you're a parent i know that you can relate to uh... being able to uh... know that your secrets are are never really that secret if you happen to have children and uh... our ultimate quest is always to find out the source of our identity and who we are whether we're a mom a dad a man a woman young or old it doesn't matter there's just this ongoing quest to push back the things that would put us in crisis in our identity and my message this morning is mirror mirror am i having an identity crisis and uh so as a result you will see a few mirrors and uh some of the luggage that's displayed will uh you'll understand as i just go on with my message i just want to open prayer father god i thank you that you are a good god that you see today you see our yesterdays and you see our our future and our future is good i thank you that you have called us your own and i thank you that we are called by your name so today god as i try to communicate i pray that my communication would be empowered by the breath of the holy spirit that upon every word every concept every thought every word that's from your word i pray that it would be made alive and made known in each person's heart just despite our gender or our position in life i pray god that there would be a truth that we would recognize that we are children of god and i pray that that revelation would come to each person that's seated here this morning both in this auditorium and online i pray god that you would meet and minister to them today in jesus name you know often there's kind of an internal war that's going on. It's not about the fights that we're having with our kids or our spouse, but it's about those battles that are kind of going on inside of us, about who we are. And uh, I realized that because of those battles, we tend to take some baggage along with us that has to do with our identity, right? Who we are and who God says we are, and trying to reconcile that he says that we are made in his image. And so you know, we can try and check those bags on, but for some reason, there seems to be, you know, I think when we get to our final destination, that destination being heaven, in case you weren't sure where we we're all hopefully heading, it seems that life has some travel restrictions on us, and that we have to actually take all of our baggage as carry-on luggage with us, everywhere we go, every step. We don't actually get to check it on, we have to carry it with us. And so, some people try to take an extra bag along with them, you know, and hope nobody actually notices. Or else maybe push the size requirements just a little on that baggage, or even bet, you, better, you get that luggage you know that you can zip out and kind of expands, so that if you have a few more issues in your life just at a certain time that you can stuff it full of a few extra things and hope that you know nobody really notices, and then we pridefully kind of tell ourselves that we have larger capacity than the other people around oh, yeah, us, you know? Yeah that instead we're not, you know, we're not limited. We, we, we're capable of so much more. Can you tell I've just returned from an air travel vacation? You know, I've been thinking about, uh, so I recently discovered something that was packed away in the luggage of my soul. And that's something that I found was a mirror. You know, and you know, it's taken me 50 years to realize that I kind of had, you know, a long-standing relationship with mirrors. I mean, I don't mean just one mirror. I mean, like, mirrors in general that I, you know, had a, you know, you're right, what, you had a relationship with mirrors? Stay with me. So my first memory of this relationship was when I was about five years old. And we lived in a 10 by 50 mobile home in Risky Creek, which is a, uh, which was a little work camp Uh, community that was on the outskirts of a reserve just in the Chilcotin and in that 10 by 50 trailer we had in my bedroom that I shared with my sister we had a built-in dresser and on either side of that dresser was a mirror or or, or was closets and then above the dresser was a mirror well I told that mirror you know a lot of things I told that mirror a lot of things, my frustrations, my pain. I dialogued a lot of possible conversations that could happen in my life. It was my confidence. And uh, you know there were things that were going on in my little world as a five-year-old that I, I needed somebody to talk to. And in case you've forgotten, I have a little example I want to show you. In case you've forgotten what kind of questions and observations five-year-olds have, I brought a little picture of a five-year-old that the media team's going to put up there of. I don't know if you can see that very well those are the kinds of observations that little five-year-olds it says oops we forgot to take his name off uh somebody drew scissors on the wall and if you could zoom in you would see that that's not really what they were drawing with scissors on the wall there so uh just in case you can't see that it's worth a, it's worth a view if you um can't see it uh to come up and look at it anyways in that work camp it was a definite hierarchy system because There was a boss. And it just so happens that the boss's daughter, Ruby, was my best friend. So uh, she was a few years younger than me. And I was forbidden to tell Ruby anything that was going on in our home. Actually, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody what was going on in our home because it was nobody's damn business what goes on in this house. You know, not that anybody would really say that. Now, I, I wasn't so, you know, I just... It wasn't so much that there was anything going on in the house that needed outside intervention. It was more that I just didn't know what wasn't anybody's business. I, you know, I was five. And at that time, my dad and my new mom weren't married. But I didn't know that. I thought if you were sleeping and living in the same house, you must be married. I didn't know there was any other options. And I'm pretty sure in the 60s in Risky Creek, there weren't any other options. But. Now, I didn't realize that if my dad was at home venting about his boss or other things that were going on, that that was important not to share with my friend Ruby because her dad actually had the power to render my dad unemployed. So um, I did um, somehow realize, though, that uh, even though I didn't understand the particulars of it, secrecy was definitely the preferred position. So me and my mirror, we processed together. You know, whether I was upset with my friends or my family, I told my mirror. You know, when I thought maybe I needed a serious talking to. You know, one time my mom overheard me talking to my mirror, and she thought I was talking about how wicked of a stepmother she was. And uh, I'm pretty sure I wasn't. But when I think about it now, the only other person I knew at that time that had a stepmother was actually Cinderella. So there is a possibility (laughs) that I did say something like that. But... um, now, I'm pretty sure it was just that I didn't want her getting mad at me because my mom was not the kind of person you wanted to have mad at you. And uh, so, and her being my stepmom was, was definitely something that was not allowed to be said to anybody outside of the home. That was definitely something that was nobody's damn business. I knew that one. So now everybody thought that my parents were married, And that both of us girls were from that marriage. And it was only last year when I was at my younger sister's funeral that my pastors that I'd known from the time I was 15 came up to me and said, we didn't know that Pat wasn't your mom. I'm telling you, it was just never spoken of. And uh, I lived with those secrets packed away in the carry-on luggage of my soul. Now, we moved a lot. And in those first seven years, I went to 19 schools. So we were. Const- I was constantly making new friends. But since we lived in that same mobile home that we had in Risky Creek, that same mirror went with me everywhere I went. It didn't leave me, it was with me all- every time we moved, every school I went to. The outside world around me changed, but the inside of the house didn't. You know. And as a little girl, I knew that Jesus loved me because once we got settled into a community, they sent me to Sunday school. Now, I didn't talk to Jesus. In fact, I'm not even, you know, oh, I did thank him for food before I ate. That was an important thing, so I did know how to talk to him like that. But other than that, I didn't really understand that you even could talk to Jesus. I didn't, I actually didn't even know how you would do that. In fact, I was pretty sure it was just somebody else that would say, you know, it's just nobody's damn business what's going on in your life. So, you know, I I don't think I would have even told him anything because, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, right? So growing up, my mom was very, well, she was quite, let's go, she was quite superstitious. And she would often recite superstitions. And uh, so if there were two forks on the table, that meant somebody was coming hungry for, was coming for dinner hungry. Now, I live in a condo, and I have to buzz you in, so it's going to take just a little bit more then an extra fork, on my able to get you a dinner invitation? Just letting you know that. So, um, but, uh, and then if you gave a knife or a pair of scissors as a gift, you had to attach a coin to the blade because uh, otherwise it was gonna cut through your friendship and it was gonna destroy your friendship. Now, if any of you have ever bought a Cutco knife, which is a company, they make really good knives, you will find that there's a nickel on either in the box or on the blade. So somebody from Cutco, they must have grown up with that superstition too, I'm pretty sure. So, and, the list of superstitions went on and on. So if you broke a mirror, does anybody know what happens? a big mess. A big mess, yes, but no, seven years, bad luck. So what do you think that did? For me, mirrors were treated, treated sort of sacredly around my house, you know? And I have so many stories when I start to look back on it about mirrors, punishments that I received in front of the mirror. So I remember I was probably about six or seven, and I, um, I must have been looking in the mirror too much. I don't know what I was looking at. But I had to, it was a full length mirror in our hallway, and I had to kneel in front of that mirror on unpop popcorn for an hour, and I couldn't let my bum touch the bottom like, couldn't be on the floor. It had to, so I had to kneel highly on my knees. And that was because I was looking in the mirror for too long, so I must have had an issue with mirrors for a while, I don't know. Now, it's after all that time and all the things that I look back on, you th- it's only actually recently that I realized that I kind of had an ungodly relationship with mirrors. I mean, I had them safely packed away in the luggage of my soul. And I had unintentionally honored a created object with my secrets and with my attention and i wonder how often people actually give things and other people a higher place than god in their life you know as i began to ask god and the holy spirit about this and how deep actually those effects went on my life he began to speak to me began to unpack things that i hadn't really noticed before you know We we talk about being self-aware, which is really just the will and the skill to understand how you see yourself and how people around us see us. But do you know, 95% of people think that they're self-aware, but in reality, it's actually only about 10 to 15%. So 80% of us lie to ourselves about lying to ourselves. So can I encourage you to maybe stop assuming that you're self-aware? Because that reflection that you're looking at is not accurate. Self-awareness requires us to have to manage what's inside of us. right? And it's not enough. Thankfully, we have a Holy Spirit that wants to reveal things to us. And that Holy Spirit will give us revelation, and it will always trump self-awareness. You know, it does help if we yield to God, though, and we allow him and the Holy Spirit permission to help us transform our minds and unpack the luggage of our souls. You know, I began to notice lately that I was still having conversations with my mirror, and I was no longer five years old. And those conversations from my childhood that used to be companionship and comfort had sort of evolved into something else. Now they were conversations that were entirely negative self-talk. They were self-shaming. They were everything I was doing wrong, everything that looked wrong. You know, I've never really thought about myself that... As a kind of person that would self-harm you know cutting or burning yourself but how often do you think our self-talk is actually self-harming you know the conversations that i would have were often about what others might be thinking about me imaginary accusations and judgments i had such good predetermined rebuttal conversations i mean me and my mirror we were pretty good strategists you know we could come up with things and you know i You know, in a good argument, I really like to pick a side. And preferably, I'd like my side to be the one that gets picked. You know, But unfortunately, it seems that God isn't really interested in sides. He's interested in us becoming healthy, mature followers of Jesus, right? And too often, I'm really just interested in the alleviation of my own pain in this whole matter, right? right? But God is interested in the transformation of our hearts and of our minds. He wants to reveal to us the source of our identity is in him you know i often would feel like i needed to defend myself and i think i'm pretty good at it you know i mean and then god says you know i really don't care about the outcome of a disagreement what he cares about is me what he cares about is you right he sees a much bigger picture than what i can see in my limited view of what's going on it's not just the reflection that stares back at me what happens is that reflection becomes a distorted image of who I actually am. And the ongoing self-talk had me defining myself by the opinions of others. And you know, those were not even opinions that mostly got expressed. They were just assumptions I made and things that I started to believe that maybe people were saying about me behind my back or when I wasn't in a room. But you know, the years of negative self-talk make it really difficult for us to have a healthy identity of ourselves and of God. I don't know, you can try to pack all those negative you know, words down deep into the luggage of your soul. But as soon as you get bumped or triggered or something sets you off, it's kind of like the zipper split apart and everybody gets to see all your naughty bits that are going on, right? And uh, it's only really in the last decade or so that I've realized how damaging the insecurities that each of us have are. And i think well doesn't everybody have insecurities sure but you know those roots can go so much deeper now i knew that god loved me and i knew what the word of god said i mean even in jeremiah 1 5 it says before i formed you in the womb i knew you in psalm 139 i'm fearfully and wonderfully made you know i encouraged other people with those words you know i sang songs declaring those truths but inside the luggage of my soul was the understanding that god saw me as kind of like a face only a mother could love. There was my Mother's Day segue for you. I face it, only a Mother's Day, just so you, you know. I was getting to the Mother's Day thing. But you know, that thought didn't always work for me. When my mother and father split up and they were trying to decide, you know, between the three girls, which one would go live with my dad. You know, my mother kept my older and younger sister and I had to go live with my dad. I was the default, I was the discard. You know, I was the leftover and then my other mother after 45 years decided that i wasn't really her daughter after all and you know i hear people say you know dna doesn't determine you know who your family is but you know for me that just seemed like a pithy little stat- statement that worked really good on mother's day cards and you know i'm not sure i really felt like i could count on the defense or the protection of a parent yeah. you know I didn't know that I could count on being chosen by a father god. Never felt like I was the one that was chosen. Their love seemed transactional, you know, if if you worked hard enough or you, you know, were made a significant contribution to their lives, then you were eligible of their love. You know, and as I say that now, I, honestly, I, I wasn't aware of those motivations and those thoughts that were going into the suitcase of my soul. It was just lies that I lived my life out of. Worldly truths, misunderstandings, ungodly beliefs, right? They were the words I dressed my soul with. Well, maybe in my case, I dressed my soul down with, right? Every decision I made, how I parented, how I engaged in relationships, how I dreamed of the future, and how I related to my God. You know, when you live your life as your own biggest critic, you undermine who God is, who God has made you to be, who he says you are. The Spirit of God wants not only to rescue you and save your soul, he wants to give you a healthy new identity in him. You know, God wants us to unpack the restrictors of our soul. But we have a real enemy that places great joy in putting the heaviest burdens on us that he possibly can, and he wants us to pack them around all the time. You know, it wasn't too many weeks ago that Pastor Josiah had us hold a brick for the whole service and feel the weight of what it was to have a burden. Anything that will keep us from getting close to God, ways that will shoot us down, make us think asking for help is actually a weakness rather than a sign of wisdom. Getting help is is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of wisdom. And a faith community like this one, they play a vital role in helping us to unpack the things that are in our soul suitcase you know don't be afraid somebody's going to judge you because correction is not the same as condemnation you know defining yourself by the opinion of others is not the same as some people giving you feedback into your life when we go to the bible moses was a person in the bible that definitely struggled with his identity throughout the book of exodus we can read of his struggle he Am I a Hebrew or am I an Egyptian? Am I royalty or am I a slave? Moses desperately wanted to be known as a Hebrew, but he was constantly seen as an Egyptian. As days and months and years went by, he felt like a stranger in a foreign land. Moses clearly struggled with his confidence and his self-esteem. Unlike me, he didn't have a mirror to distort the image of who he was. Instead, God used a burning bush to get his attention. So when Moses was 80 years old at that burning bush, he still was battling with his identity i want to read to you from exodus 3 verse 11 verse 15. but moses said to god who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the israelites out of egypt and god said i will be with you and this will be a sign to you that it is i who have sent you when you have brought the people out of egypt you will worship god on this mountain moses said to god suppose i go to the israelites and say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they'll say well what's his name And then what should I tell them? God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelite, the Lord God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Do you know in a few verses before that, Moses hides his face from God because he's afraid to look at God. But he doesn't really even seem to know who God is, because he says, "You know, what am I going to tell them your name is? And God's response to Moses is actually to proclaim his own character. In Exodus 3.14, he says, Yahweh, I am who I am. In this interaction with God, Moses comes face to face with something that I'm sure a few of us have have encountered, and that's imposter syndrome. It's the sense of feeling inadequate and ill-prepared to do a job and the accompanying fear of being exposed as an imposter. You know, in the Bible, it really clearly states that we are created in the image of God. And our identity at the core is founded and rooted in Him. At the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 127, God says, I created human beings in my image. Now, an identity crisis happens when we lose sight of who our Creator is, of who God is. And we settle for this distorted reflection. And so we become a forgery rather than the masterpiece that God has created us to be. And so when we deny that we are made in the image of God, we actually deny God. The questioning that Moses had of his identity was prompted because he was asked to do a task that he felt he was unable to complete. You know, That's the same today. We enjoy creating our identity until we find ourselves unable to deliver. For many people, the pressure to achieve and sustain that self-built identity becomes too much. I mean, rates of depression are higher than ever before. And part of that is the brittleness of our souls and the sense that we don't know who we are. And so that means that we're constantly having to evaluate and reevaluate our identity, striving to confirm it and dealing with the failures and to live up to it. So the question is, who am I? Mirror, mirror. God says, "I will be with you." What, what kind of answer is that? How does knowing that somebody's with me? How does that, how does that answer who I am? But you know, I think it is an answer. God says to, to Moses that his identity is tied to God's identity. Moses says, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh?" You know, we might have said, Moses, you are the ideal person. You were raised in Pharaoh's courts. I mean, you protected and provided for your flock for years. You've seen the treatment of your people. Moses, you can do it. But God says, I will be with you. God's the one who's going to make the difference. Not Moses having a higher sense of self-esteem. He needs a greater sense of God's presence. You know, you might be a self-made person, and you might enjoy for a while the autonomy of that. But you know, it's hard work trying to fit in, and whether it's at school or prove yourself in your job or stay up with the latest fashions, eventually there's going to be some cracks and they're going to appear. And that self-made identity, is it going to actually withstand the pressures of time and the divine appraisal after this life, huh? But what does God say? God says, I will be with you. You can walk life with me, God says. You can base your sense of self on your knowledge of me. You can find confidence and worth in knowing that I am there for you and I'm here with you. You can know that I'm with you and your achievements and your failures are not going to affect that status. I will be with you. Moses goes from hiding his face from God in chapter 3 to actually talking face to face with God in chapter 33. You know, say for instance, you wanted to go visit King Charles in Buckingham Palace. You'd get about as far as the gate and they would say, well, who are you? And I bet you wouldn't get past that. Well, none of us in the room here. What about, say, Kate Middleton when she was 15 years old, if she'd gone to see the Queen at that time? Do you think she would have gotten any further than the gate? Probably not. But what would she do now? She'd say, Hey, I'm with him. I'm with the Prince. You know, I'm the Duchess of Cambridge. She can get through that gate because her identity is now with her husband. You know, it's the same way as us our identity is with Jesus. I'm with him. I'm a child of God. We are people defined by our God. Yesterday, you might have been a great employee or you might have had a crappy day at work. You might have been a great parent or a great child or a selfish one. You might have been praised, mocked, or even ignored. Maybe you were, you're were you almost entirely obedient or maybe you're terribly sinful. But if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God and nothing can change that. Today, you can go out with confidence, not in what you look like, not in what you've done, but who is with you. Who am I? I'm a child of God, and God says he will be with me. Just like me, maybe you've let someone or something define who you are. Good news is today is a new day, not just Mother's Day. It's a new day for everyone. So don't lose sight of who God says we are, because our reflection can distort Our identity and if we carry that baggage of distortion we will miss that we have been made in the image of God and to deny that is to deny God so today here at church we're sending every mummy home with a gift and that gift is a handheld compact magnifying mirror you know that mirror is so you will have a reminder not of who you think you are but who God says you are no longer denying that God is God. He says, I am who I am. I am with you. Mirror, mirror, am I having an identity crisis? Not today. Not today. Because I am, Yahweh is with me. I am is my identity. I am that I am. Fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Thanks for tuning in today.